0: A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 14, beginning at the 25th verse. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Now large crowds were traveling with him, and he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me, cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to wage war against another king, will not sit down first and consider whether he's able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000. If he cannot, then, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks them for the terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. They throw it away. Let anyone with ears to hear, listen. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise you, Lord Jesus Christ. Would you please be seated.
1: Jesus told this parable in Luke 14, anyone who does not carry his own cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Let's say some guy really wants to build a tower. Now you might be wondering, why would he want to build a tower? I mean, who wouldn't want to build their very own tower? Come on, right? I mean, don't you think this guy is going to sit down and see if he has all that he needs to finish it? Especially the cash. Because if he pours a foundation, builds the base, and constructs half of it, and then runs out of money and supplies, that would be dumb. And everyone would drive by this dude's tower and be like, Hey dummy, you know what you should have done before you built that tower? You should have counted out the cost before you even started. I hate it when people point out stuff that makes perfect sense. Or, what if a king was about to go to war with another king? Wouldn't he first sit down and figure out if his army of 10,000 could beat the other guy's army of 20,000? If not, the dude better sit that one out or he'd get owned. In the same way, any of us who don't count the cost and give up everything can't really be called a disciple of his. Jesus said salt is good, but if it doesn't taste like salt, then it's lost its worth. It wouldn't even be fit for the soil or a pile of manure. So he who has ears, listen up. Ha! Jesus just said poop.
2: Let us pray. Lord, give us ears uh, to listen uh, to your word this morning. Uh, May the words that come from my mouth be inspired by your Holy Spirit. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been working our way through a series uh, we've called Even More, uh, which is part of the rewording of our vision statement, revealing more of God through who we are because of who God is. And this week, it's my responsibility to conclude the series, Uh, but before I let you know what we'll be expecting even more of this week, I did want to address some concerning accusations. In recent times, I've heard scurrilous comments from retired clergy, staff, and even a bishop that I might deliberately give others the difficult passages to preach on. (laughs) While I know they're tongue-in-cheek, I'm sure uh, today's gospel is case in point that I also preach the challenging passages in the Bible. And you could actually be forgiven um, if you wanted to put a question mark after the response to the gospel. Is this really the gospel of the Lord? If you came here this morning looking for some comfort, some peace, a sense of God's all-embracing love, or just to come closer to God, how do you find this advice? Hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. Carry your cross, estimate the cost, and give up all of your possessions. One of the most dangerous things that you can do is to just read one section of the Bible. And if you only read Luke 14, verse 26, then you are going to get a very distorted image of who God is and who Jesus is. But, and it's a big but, this is a very important verse and a very important passage of Scripture. Bible scholars are quick to point out that the use of hyperbole or deliberate exaggeration to make a point was common in Jesus' day as it is in our day today. I mean, who amongst us has never been hungry enough to eat a horse? I know I have been. When I find a word that is hard, jarring or confronting, One of the things that I do is I go back to the original Greek in the New Testament or I go to the Hebrew in the Old Testament. And so I did that in the case of the word hate. The Greek word for hate is misiae. And misiae can actually sound even harsher in a Greek context than it does in an English context. So this word can mean to detest, especially to persecute. That's a fairly hard interpretation of that passage, that we're to detest to the point of persecution, family members. But there's also another usage of and that can simply mean to love less. Now, out of those two, I know which one I want to be right. <laughs> and that's where I think having an understanding of other parts of the Bible is really important. As Jesus is, is, is speaking to this really big crowd of Jewish, so, we, we expect solely Jewish people many of whom are reasonably well off and affluent, there would be one commandment that each one of those participants in the crowd would know off by heart. And we've heard it a few times this year. Uh, and in, in Jewish uh, terminology, it's known as the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. When Jesus was asked which is the greatest commandment, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbors as yourself. On these two commands hang all the law and the prophets. Jesus takes the Shema and steps it up a level. Not just God, but others as well. And today's passage is consistent with these teachings. And it's consistent with Jesus in the way that he taught to clarify. And to make clear what some in his time had distorted. And it's also consistent with the way that Jesus stepped it up another level. And removed any wiggle room. And so this particular verse is in effect saying, I know your parents are loving. I know your wife is gorgeous. I know your kids are cute but God is first. You love God first. And if you love God first, your love for others is much more impactful. And that includes those loving parents, those gorgeous husbands and wives, those cute kids. And... In Jesus' teaching, he actually expands the notion of what family is far beyond mother, father, husband, wife, brother, and sister. He expands it into uncomfortable places and includes those who we and society find unlovely and unlovable. It's in Luke's gospel that Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan if we accept a narrow view of family and value our immediate needs and desires more than justice and more than love of God, we'll not take good Samaritan-like risks for the vulnerable in our society today. The world will see this kind of prioritization as foolishness. And this might bring division as we had this passage a couple of weeks ago. Do you think that I've come to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. But the source of that division is a disconnect between those who love God first and those who don't. Becoming Jesus' disciple is not for the faint-hearted. It involves the possibility of alienating family and friends who cannot understand or support the commitment that you have because it seems foolishness to them. Discipleship has a real cost to it. So we're encouraged to count that cost. Jesus says before making any commitment... We should count the cost, just like a builder must count the cost of construction before beginning a project. And given uh, outside our windows, we're nearing the completion of our own building project, I thought it was very apt to base our last um, in our series on even more on that particular part of this passage. So this morning I want us to consider... That discipleship, following Jesus, is even more costly. Before you panic, we did actually count the cost of Project Connect a number of times. And my latest advice is that we are at the very least on time and on budget. So, deep breath. It's not one of those sermons. It's it's funny because it's not funny that you laugh at that bit. (laughs) Over the years, I've been on and still am on a number of boards. And when I'm asked to make a decision, particularly on a new project or on a change of direction, one of the things that I expect to see is a cost-benefit analysis. And I want us to consider a simple cost-benefit analysis this morning. What does it cost you? to follow Jesus? Secondly, what are the benefits to following Jesus? It might be something that you might take with you for the rest of the day. If I was to suggest that by reading the sign of the times, my humble opinion is... That following Jesus is already becoming more costly. And I expect it to become even more costly in the future. How will that impact your analysis? Are you still in? The more we understand the benefits of following Jesus, the more we are prepared to bear the cost. And the more we understand the benefits are not for us exclusively to redeem personally, the more we can understand the value of our costs. Times have changed, there's no denying. Uh, In the church world, we like to use jargon for everything. um, And one of the things I try to do, particularly for this service, is... Is to reduce the amount of jargon. So if I ever use in this congregation a word that you don't understand, please tell me after the service, and I'll try and find better words to explain it for next week. But one of the the pieces of jargon that that I grew up with was a term "twicer." A twicer was somebody who came to church twice on a Sunday. Today, a twicer is somebody who comes to church twice a month. And we actually measure statistically across Australia, regular church attendance equates to somebody who comes to church once a month or more. Now you might need some tissues for this little bit. But I played sport my entire childhood. And I was never able to attend a single gala day. They were always on Sundays. And my parents weren't able to take me. And that really didn't matter. Because even if I was able to arrange a lift, I was never allowed to play sport on a Sunday. It was not the done thing. Christians don't play sport on Sundays, Stuart. I'm happy to write a note to your coach. That did happen. Now, as a parent, I am and have been happy to let my children attend gala days. I do try to ensure that they understand the priority of church worship and the need for it, but I'm nowhere near as hardcore as my parents were. Is that a failing of mine? Perhaps. Has the church in general? succumbed to the societal and cultural pressures that calls the Christian church to make sure the expression of its belief is not offensive, it's culturally appropriate, and not too in your face. That the church's belief is to be kept out of the public domain, out of schools and off the dinner tables. Perhaps. Perhaps. But on a more personal level, I'd like to challenge each one of us this morning with this question. How does following Jesus fit in with your weekly priorities? Often as a church leader, I'm grateful to take whatever I can get of your time. I'm aware of how busy schedules are, how crazy life is. Particularly for those of you who are retired, you seem to be the busiest amongst us. We've even begun creating worship times to try and accommodate those who find Sundays hard or challenging to manage because of other commitments in their lives. And might I say, it is important for the church to have that level of cultural awareness, of flexibility to move outside the confines of what we've always done and what's just inside these walls, to meet people where they are at and to minister to them there. And I also should say that following Jesus does not necessarily equate with how much time an individual will spend in a church building or with church people. Still, the challenge in this passage is real. Christian discipleship is not something that can be done only in our spare time after all of the other commitments have been met. Jesus isn't asking for leftovers. Jesus wants us our love, our time, our resources, our work, and our commitment. Jesus calls us to discipleship, and it's a countercultural call. In small ways like sporting galas, but also in much more important and profound ways. For countless Christians over the centuries, following that call to discipleship has been at the cost of their lives. And in different parts of the world that still goes on today. Jesus' prerequisite that the crowds need to relinquish their possessions is a challenge to reject greed. We've become a society that encourages greed over giving, hoarding over sharing, and overabundance as a marker of social status over the elimination of poverty. What humans have created, we can eliminate by daily recommitting ourselves to the God who loves compassion, mercy, and justice, and hates poverty, greed, iniquity, and injustice. This will, however, be costly. So what will it actually cost us? What does even more costly look like? Well, in the very beginning, I think a good starting point is that it looks like asking us to answer personally and intimately, not in Open forums to start with, but just in the quiet times of our relationship with God, who knows our inmost beings, to ask these types of questions What are the things that I trust in? What do I actually sacrifice? How am I generous? And is it really generosity? Do I love God more than anything else? And what would it look like for that actually to be true? Am I willing to champion the cause of the poor and the marginalized? Have I really evaluated the cost of saying yes to those many things in my life, which in and of themselves are not wrong, they're not reckless or harmful, but they actually cause me to say no or not yet to God. From my own personal perspective, I think one of the big costs that the church, both individually and collectively, needs to consider bearing is our own personal preferences when it comes to worship style, theological interpretation, and the way that the church is organized and operates. I'm not sure how often I've heard someone express that they didn't enjoy that sermon, they didn't like that song, or they disagreed with that interpretation or application of that doctrine. I'm sure I've heard it at least as many times that I've thought it myself. Let's face it. The decline in church numbers, particularly in our denomination, may well indicate that our preferences may not be connecting with those outside the church in the way that they used to, if they ever did at all. Instead, how often have we said, well, I might not have found that to my personal preference, but I'm called to be faithful. And I'm so thankful that I can clearly see that God is at work. Being a Christian isn't just about having our souls saved. It's about joining a movement Any movement requires buy-in, and it comes at a cost. It requires commitment. And this movement has had the greatest recorded impact on human history. King David is recorded as saying in Samuel that he was not going to bring anything before God that cost him nothing. I wonder why should our focus be so strongly on what we can get out of God rather than what we are called to give. But let's not forget those benefits. The benefit of following Jesus is nothing more or less than life itself. Earlier in Luke's Gospel, Jesus says these words, If any want to be my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will save it. The way of discipleship is the way of life. Real life. Life that doesn't deny the reality of death, but instead overcomes it through the power of resurrection. And I believe that that is good news that the whole of the world needs to hear. And their ears are going to be more attentive to listen to it if we live it. And that will be costly. Not everyone will be able to bear that cost. And Jesus is clear at other different points in the Gospels that that will be true. But the good news is that God has never needed a majority of people to do God's work. And my prayer is that even though we might see this morning um, a crowd that's gathered, it's a little bit less than what we have on average, that we might not see a sense of scarcity, that we might believe and respond to this challenge of discipleship and accept that it will be even more costly and through that faithfulness i know god will continue to do great things for us and in and through us follow But don't follow out of guilt. Follow out of love for God. Follow because the way of Christian discipleship is the greatest adventure known to humanity. Follow because walking in the way of the cross is how we find life and peace and hope. I don't think it's any accident that when we love God first, we find hope. Lord, as we continue to seek your word, your love, your example, your influence in our world, help us as hard as it is to put those things of our own self-focus, our own self-interest to the side. Help us to see you more clearly, to understand the depth of Jesus' love for us and the amazing, overwhelming power of the Holy Spirit that is with us. Help us to understand that you are with us in this journey of costly giving. Help us to know that you have chosen us to be your hands and feet in the world and you build your church on people just like us. And while we are becoming more and more aware that following you is going to be even more costly, help us to be even more aware of how overwhelmingly impactfully awesome is your love for us now, for those around us, and into eternity. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me as we sing together?